This is Not Your Average Financial Podcast, Episode 310, Wealth on Any Income, with author Rennie Gabriel. Traditional financial planning is no longer working. And in the new normal economy, your host, certified financial planner Mark Willis, invites you to join us as we engage the new and improved steps for establishing financial sanity. Be curious, be stable, be sane. This is not your average financial podcast, helping you think different about your money, your economy, and your future. Get ready for an incredible two-day Not Your Average Financial Summit event that will revolutionize the way you think about your money. This year, we're going to be inspired by renowned financial experts, not-so-average industry leaders, and successful entrepreneurs. They'll share their strategies, their insights, and their secrets to help you build real wealth and achieve financial freedom. So whether you are a seasoned investor or just starting out on this journey called money, this not-so-average financial summit has something for everyone. Gain some valuable knowledge, learn actionable tips, and connect with like-minded individuals who share your passion for bank on yourself and so much more. You can go to notyouraveragefinancialsummit.com. That's notyouraveragefinancialsummit.com. See you there. Hey, everybody. Welcome to this week's episode. You know, if you're listening to this as the episode drops, we are knee deep into summertime, which means the gardens are blooming. Nature is in full force. And at least in our garden, we are watching the power of small becoming very big all around us. So for example, one of the smallest birds in our garden is typically the hummingbird. Now, unbelievably, the hummingbird defies expectations with its extraordinary ability to fly. It can hover in mid-air. It can fly backward. It can reach incredible G-force speeds. So size is not always an indicator of capability. I'm also noticing that acorns are beginning to drop from our mighty oak trees. And as small as the acorn is, as small and as insignificant as that little acorn is, it has an unbelievable package inside this tiny little shell that has all the necessary instructions and potential to become something that will be both taller than me or anything else in our neighborhood, likely outlive everybody alive today. It's an incredible little package wrapped up in that tiny, insignificant-looking acorn. What about something in human history? I mean, think about Johannes Gutenberg back in the 15th century, fiddling around with his small little printing press, tiny, small little letters arranged in a very particular way on a board covered in ink, was about to change the course of human history. It enabled mass production of books. It allowed ideas to be shared on a scale never before seen, all from the tiniest little letters arranged intricately and painstakingly on a board no bigger than the palm of your hand. So small can become mighty if you know what to do and you have the potential within you. This is also true with your finances. Many people listening have an incredible financial life. They're leading by example by putting their wealth to work in important and responsible ways. But, you know, still other people listening today may be waiting for their ship to come in before they can start saving. But my guest today is here to say that you can be wealthy on any income starting even with the smallest amount, even you, each one of us can begin to build wealth in ways that can change the course of your own history and that of your family tree. So who is my guest today? After two divorces, 
and a business failure, Rennie Gabriel went from being broke at age 50 to a multimillionaire after learning the three secrets of the wealthy despite failing high school math. Rennie is a TEDx speaker and now donates 100% of the profits of his books and online programs to rescue dogs and soldiers. His award-winning book, best-selling book, Wealth on Any Income, has been translated into eight languages. You guys are going to get a ton of takeaways from today's episode with Rennie Gabriel. Rennie, welcome to the show. Thank you so much, Mark. My pleasure to be here. Thank you for the opportunity. Glad to have you here. Why don't we just start with one of my favorite questions to ask new guests to our podcast, which is, tell us about money when you were growing up. What was that like? Um, <laughs> I'll say as an adult, it was a struggle. What I learned about myself in the process was that even though I had been educated in the financial field, none of the foundations of how to handle money powerfully were a part of my education. Didn't know how to do a personal budget. Didn't know how really to match my income with the expenses. I thought if I just made more money, things would work out. Started off as a school teacher at $6,500 a year and was short $100 a month. Doubled my income and now I'm short $200 a month. By the time I passed $100,000 a year, I was short $2,000 a month. So obviously I did figure out making more money was not the solution. Absolutely. Uh, there's a law in the financial universe called Parkinson's law. The funny way to say it is a luxury enjoyed becomes a necessity. I think the correct way to say Parkinson's law is expenses will always rise to meet or exceed our incomes. You can yes. never out earn a bad budget. And that's true for me too. And true for a lot of our listeners, I'm sure. So take us to where you are now, what you've done up until this point and what you're up to today. So after a couple divorces and a business failure, by the time I'm 50, I'm broke, starting over. And I met the most wonderful woman who is now my third, final, best, greatest wife. We've been together 25 years. Congratulations. Thank you. And I used one of the concepts that you're aware of, most people are aware of, from the book, The Richest Man in Babylon. I treated myself like I deserved to own some of the money I was earning. Yeah. I set aside 10%. And within three years, I'd saved up a whopping $18,000. But what I did is, with two other people, my wife and a realtor, we bought a little triplex. So we pooled our money together. And within five years, my $18,000 was worth $125. Wow. When, thank you. And when people are told, pay off your credit card debt before you invest, that's the worst advice anybody could be given. If I'd have used that $18,000 to pay off my credit card debt, I wouldn't have had the money to invest. And that investment led to other investments. I borrowed money instead of paying off debt to make down payments on more apartment buildings with my wife and this realtor. And within five years, we went from that three-unit purchase to 47 more units we added. And I no longer had to work for a living. I love that. And thank you for kind of giving us that true rags to riches story. And, you know, and only in a great country like this one could that sort of thing even happen. So, 
Brittany, tell us a bit about your work now with Purpose and your TEDx talk, as well as what else you're doing now with some of the success you've achieved. Thank you so much. So I set up a website called Wealth on Any Income because I did this while I was earning 5000 a month. So that's why I've got a book called Wealth on Any Income, a website, a podcast, all with the same title. On the website, if people make a donation to the charity Sheltered a Soldier, there's a link at the top of the homepage, I'll give them a copy of my award-winning best-selling book for free. I have other books and programs on the website, and 100% of the money, like I said, gets donated to charities for animals and mm -hmm. veterans. Thank you for the work you do in helping serve our servicemen and women. So that's fantastic. Tell us now what you learned along the way. You told us kind of where you started and where you are today. How did you, what lessons did you learn along the way? And particularly, you mentioned that there are three secrets of the wealthy. Would you mind just sort of spilling the beans? What are those yeah. three secrets? Oh, yeah. It's, these, these are a part of the things that I discovered, you know, in my my education to to transform my situation. And I would say the most important, well, I'll give you an acronym, AFI, for these three secrets. And AFI does not has nothing to do with the American Film Institute. The A stands for attitude, and that's the most important. When I had a shift in mindset is when things became different and transformed. And so wealthy people have different attitude about money. Uh, when it comes to debt, when it comes to investing, when it comes to their business, when it comes to talking about money. And those attitudes, as I met wealthy people, I began to adopt, and that made a difference. So that's the A. The F stands for forms. I learned how to use the forms we all may be familiar with, but from the standpoint of a wealthy person. As an example, a net worth statement. What do you own? What do you owe? Well, a wealthy person doesn't look at their house as an asset. It's a liability. It sucks up money. It doesn't generate an income. And so I looked at what are the things that will create my net worth so I don't have to work for a living. So I look at a net worth statement like a wealthy person, not like an ordinary person. So those are the forms. Mm -hmm. And last thing is I for investments. We are not limited as wealthy people to stocks, bonds, and mutual funds. We have businesses, we have oil and gas, we have triple net leases, we have apartment buildings, we have office buildings, we have a whole host of things not limited to stocks, bonds, and mutual funds. And most people think that's all that's available to them. And that's not the case. So those are the three secrets. Very cool. And you know, our show is called Not Your Average Financial Podcast. And you know, one of the things you said earlier in terms of like attitude, forms, and investments. One of the things you said earlier is that we should definitely start our investing before we pay off our debts. And there's a number of different strategies and I would say opinions about that out there. And the average financial advice, which again, we're not so average around here, but I'd like you to push in on that uh, opinion, right? Why is it that we should focus on investing before we pay off you know, even high interest credit card debt, you know, I'll play devil's advocate. What if my credit card is 24%? That's a guaranteed negative rate of return after tax rate of return, no less. That's so correct. tell us why we should invest before we throw down on some high interest credit cards. 
Okay. I'll tell you that I do have a page in my book where I actually compare paying off debt first and then investing versus starting to invest first. And the difference over a 30-year time frame with, I think it was, I used an 18% interest credit card and a 8 or 10% return on investment. So that at over the 30-year time frame, if someone just delayed the investing for two years, they were short by $200,000 in their investment portfolio from that two-year delay. And that's only investing $300 a month. For $300 a month, you've lost $200,000 of investment earnings because you waited two years to pay off debt first. Mm -hmm. So that's a simple explanation here, you know, with numbers. Okay. Mm -hmm. Let's talk about it in a different way, Mark. Can I put you on the spot? Sure. Okay. Let's say that you had no debt. You had no car loans. You had no credit card debt. You had no mortgage debt. You had no debt at all. Would you have financial freedom and not have to work for a living? I mean, how am I buying my groceries, for example? That, yes, that's yeah. right. How do you buy groceries? How do you pay utility bills? I mean, be through what income. I said is you have no debt. Mm -hmm. I didn't say you have assets that are generating an income. Right. Without that, you can't create financial freedom or what I call complete financial choice. Mm, I like that, the complete only way financial to choice. Yeah, and the only way to create it is to treat yourself like you matter, pay yourself first, invest that money, keep it for the rest of your life, generate assets. And the income from the assets I generated paid off my credit card debt. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Well, it's a, it's a strategy that has to be proven out in the math and the numbers, but you've given us some numbers here for folks to really consider. I, I regularly, as a certified financial planner, have people ask me, hey, should I pay off my debt or should I start saving first? And uh, on our show, we talk a lot about dividend paying whole life insurance as an asset class for folks. We call it bank on yourself for short. Uh, and it's an awesome alternative to purely paying off your debts or even purely investing. I'll give you a quick yeah. scenario here. You may be familiar with the concept. Oh, no, I'm not only familiar with the concept, I own it. Oh, wonderful. Well, I'd love to get your feedback on what you've used it for and how you've experienced it for sure. But you know, we have found that by using specific kinds of whole life insurance, it will do something really interesting. It will continue to grow and compound even when I access the money for a policy loan as if I hadn't touched a dime of the money. So to your point about paying off debts and investing, you know, one of the most powerful things that we were able to do, my wife and I, was start saving first in our policies, you know, as young as we possibly could, not waiting till we were student loan debt free. We had 120 grand in student loan debt, for goodness sakes. We could have waited six years to follow Dave Ramsey down the cliff or, <laughs> or started, start saving in an asset that grows guaranteed every year, borrow against it, wiped out our debt in that regard, and now since have used it many times for investing as well. The power of what you're saying is compound growth is magic. I'd be very curious about your experience with uh, dividend-paying life insurance. Yeah, well, I do have a Bank on Yourself product, and we used it to uh, buy my wife's car, and she's very happy with the car. We repaid the money, and like you said, it pays the dividends even though we've made a loan against the policy, and we're getting a good rate of return on it. And not only that, 
it's a nice reserve in addition to all the other things that we have. You know, we have a few hundred thousand dollars in the policies. Mm -hmm. And I mean, if, you know, everything goes to heck in a handbasket, I know there's still that money to rely on. So it, it just creates a very good sense of security that not only do we have a strong foundation that we built everything on, but if things do go wrong, that foundation is there to support us. It's phenomenal when you meet another revolutionary who's thinking outside of the box, not just in terms of typical financial planning, but using even weird assets like whole life insurance of all things as a cornerstone to your financial portfolio. So thank you for sharing that. That's great feedback. Tell me more about what you now consider to be the most important things, like, is, for example, saving and spending. Are there any oh, rules of thumb or heuristics we should be aware of when it comes to what do we save? What do we spend? When do we know we're on the right track? The simplest formulas. And what I've discovered is that as long as I live on 80% or less of my income, everything works out. 10% gets set aside for my future that, that I keep for the rest of my life, that gets invested, that generates the income so I don't have to work. And the other 10% is money that I set aside to spend later. When the car insurance bill comes due, when the property tax bills come due, when the things come due that I didn't plan for on a monthly basis. Real simple formula, 10, 10, and 80. Oh, that's great. That's love. I love it. So let me get this straight. So you've got 10% set aside for your future. Essentially, that will be generating an income for you someday. And that we can get into what those dollars go towards, you know, maybe real estate or annuities or something. And then 10% for unexpected emergencies. Does this include expenses like property taxes or more just unexpected emergencies? More or less unexpected emergencies. A car breaks down, water heater bursts. We have got a it. gas leak at a property and we have to spend thousands of dollars to run new gas lines. Those are the things that that's for. I see. Great. Well, that's, I think, really simple, and yet it's uncommon. Uh, nothing is less common than common sense. I think Ben Franklin <laughs> said that, right? So yes. why do you think common sense is so uncommon in our day and age today? Um, because it's not taught any more than critical thinking is taught in the school system. The school system in my opinion, is designed to manufacture employees, people who will get a good education and get a good job, not become a business owner, not become an entrepreneur, not contribute in other ways, but be a cog in the wheel. That is what the educational system generally is designed to manufacture. Mm, yeah, I, I think you're probably right. And I think that brings us to sort of the lack of critical thinking the following the herd mentality. Yes. Tell me what, what your opinion is on common financial products. I'm going to use some names like a bank account or a 401k, for example. Are there any opinions you have there as far as the, the herds, the common place to put money? Do you like those? Do you find they have flaws with them? Just give us your insights onto those products. Well, a part of my background was owning a pension administration company. So yes, I do have opinions about them. Uh, when it comes to employer qualified retirement plans, the government is always changing the rules so that they can confiscate that money at some point in time. So my preference is to have money outside of those programs that the government controls and allows you the, the tax benefits. 
because along with those tax benefits, they take away privileges. Mm. For a lot of employees, this gets back to the employee's situation, they don't have a lot of choices on where to put the money. And so for them, those kinds of programs often make sense. Not all the time, but often do. Whether it's a 401k plan, whether it's an IRA, you know, those are easy, simple things to, to use. And if someone isn't going to try and think for themselves and create investments that they're going to monitor and understand, well, those are alternatives. I don't know if you've got a, a street like this in your town where you live, but in our town, there is a, a main drag where there is fast food joint after fast food joint after mm. junk food joint after ice cream store after fast food joint. You get the picture, right? Yes. And maybe there's one little shop that would sell you actual food. <laughs> <laughs> actual real food, you know, with real yes, ingredients. Yes, and they struggle to stay in business. They struggle, yes. And so what I hear you saying is the employee is given not a lot of actual choice, just reams of false choices, you know, which which underperforming over expensive mutual fund would you like? Please select one. <laughs> <laughs> and yes. that's essentially what I heard you say. Is that a fair summary of what I hear you say? Uh, that that was a lovely analogy to explain what I said. Yes. Okay. All right. Well, I didn't want to put words in your mouth there, but that's unfortunately true. The the employee is given essentially a mall where you overpay and you get underdeveloped product as a result. So let's get back to a, a curious um statement you made. You said that you you said that you put away 10% into future savings, I don't know exactly how you put it, but you, you never spent it and it was meant for income. So would you mind, if you're willing to share this, what are some of the things you're doing with that 10% that you'll never spend, but it's mainly there for future income? What are those ventures that you're digging into? Well, the original one, which is probably the easiest to explain, was the $18,000 I saved up that became the down payment for a little triplex that we purchased. And so it's to, to create down payments for more things. And maybe it goes into a triple net lease, or maybe it goes into an oil and gas investment, or maybe it goes into a mini storage or a limited partnership. So it goes into the areas where it will generate an income. And at this point, we have a tremendous income and it, it works. I mean, I've been doing it for 25 years now. And, you know, have not had to work for a long time. Awesome. Congratulations. I think that's something a lot of people listening to this podcast want. And so hearing how you did it, I think, is part of what gives people hope. What about people who maybe feel like it's too late for them? Is it ever too late to create wealth? Well, actually, when it comes to what's the age where it's too late, that answer is when you've died. Other than that, it is never too late. I've had clients in their 60s and 70s and even 80s who were getting started on the right path. As an example, one of the women was a, um, a psychologist. She was living with her children when I met her. She was 80 years of age. She started employing these concepts and was actually able to move out into her own apartment instead of having to live with her children. Phenomenal. That's awesome. She's 80 years of age and she's ready to think different. So what's holding you or any listener back, right? If if she can do it, you guys can do it. So pick up what we're laying down here today. 
That's great. You know, I think we have a lot of overlapping principles and values that we hold in common here, Rennie. I think yes. part of part of the um, approach that you're making is we need to be thinking like our grandparents did. You know, the average American in 1940, according to the U.S. Commerce Bureau reports, say that they were saving about 30% of their income at that time. So at least we can do is 20%, you know, 10% for never touch and 10% for unexpected. I think that's a great rule of thumb and work up to it, right? If you can only save 3%, which is the average today, by the way, 3% of our income is today's savings rate. If you can just maybe once a quarter, dial that up to 4%, 5%, once a quarter, you can make 1% adjustments that can really move the needle over not too long a period of time. Oh, um, so. Absolutely. Yep, you're absolutely right. I had a general contractor who was earning a few hundred thousand dollars a year and told me he couldn't pay himself first other than his paycheck, anything. He said, if you could just take 1% of your gross revenue, just 1% when it comes in, you get a check for $10,000, set aside a hundred bucks. He did it. Within six months, he accumulated $50,000, when he, but he started at 1%. Yep. If if they can uh, find a way to automatically do this where we don't even notice it, they meaning like your bank account, or again, one of my favorite things to do is to set up a whole life policy that automatically just puts that money in to a policy. It's still liquid, still accessible, but you know, it's a little, it takes, what does it take you? Maybe four or five days, maybe a week to get money access for your wife's car, for example, but that's still pretty liquid, I assume. So yes. for a lot of folks, Putting that money out of sight makes it out of mind, too. And again, back to Parkinson's law, if the money's not in your bank account, it's a lot harder for you to just spend it on that flat screen TV or that luxury sedan or whatever. So what what would you say is your your TEDx talk was called a Building Wealth with Purpose. Uh, and if you don't mind, maybe tell folks where they can find that. And then what does that mean, building wealth with purpose? What it means is that the wealth is not just for you. In the same way that I'm giving back to the charities that touch my heart, the people that I work with have a philanthropic goal. They want to be able to donate to causes that matter to them, and they need to learn how to handle money more powerfully first, which is what I provide. And they can get the TEDx talk on uh, YouTube. They can even get it from my website, Wealth on Any Income. And if they go there, they can also get a free nine-step roadmap that leads from wherever they are to a place of complete financial choice and philanthropy with an explanation of each of the nine steps. So they can get that free and see the TEDx talk. And the point of the TEDx talk is twofold. It's to let people know that they have been programmed to believe it's better to be poor than to be wealthy. And I give the examples and I talk about my situation. And the reality is people shouldn't fear being wealthy as I got a great quote from Warren Buffett. Maybe you've heard it. He says, of the billionaires I have known, most people who were jerks before they had money were simply jerks with a billion dollars. <laughs> mm -hmm. So the opposite is true. When people are good and create wealth. They are still good. And if they want to be philanthropic and donate to causes that matter to them, when they become wealthy, they will be have more power to do it. I couldn't agree with you more. Someone maybe heard his quote, passed it along to me, but they also just 
added the idea that money only makes us more of who we already are, which is the exact same statement that Mr. Buffett was saying there. Money only amplifies our heart. And it's really, it's it, it itself, you know, the old phrase, money is the root of all evil. Well, no, it's not. It's love of money is the root of yes. all evil. And so that's exactly what we want to deprogram. And you can be dirt poor and love money. I've seen people <laughs> who desperately do terrible things to get that dollar, almighty dollar. And a billionaires, certainly billionaires can be, you know, bad or good with money. And I'd much rather a hundred people on this podcast who are good people listening to this show become billionaires and then do incredible philanthropic uh, works, uh, then say, give it to just some random person on the street. So thank you for the work you're doing. And tell us once again, what is the website where folks can learn more about you and the work you're up to? They can go to wealthoneanyincome.com. And if they go forward slash TEDx, they'll see the talk and can download that roadmap for free. Great. Rennie, thank you for coming on the show today. Terrific. Thank you so much, Mark. Bye. Rennie, thank you again for coming on the show today. And, you know, I had just a couple of brief takeaways I wanted to make mention for you guys. What were your takeaways? You know, reach out to me and let me know. You can find us on our membership site at notyouraverage.mn.co and tell me what your takeaways were. What were your action steps? What were your aha moments? You know, this podcast is going to be over in just a minute or two, and you'll be on to the next thing unless you take action. Here were my action steps and takeaways, those little aha moments, those nuggets from today's interview. First of all, the 10% rule. Learning to save a portion of your income, specifically 10%, is a brain-dead simple and powerful way to build wealth and achieve financial freedom. It emphasizes for me the importance of just consistently setting aside, setting aside a portion of your earnings. And, you know, honestly, it comes straight from that classic financial education book, The Richest Man in Babylon. So one action item you can take is buy a copy of that book, if you've not read it yet, The Richest Man in Babylon, and read it right away. And if you already have a copy, maybe share a copy with a friend. Also, if you have kids, I highly recommend the book, The Richest Boy in Athens, which tells essentially the same story and teaches the same lessons on financial sanity, but it's aimed at kids I'd say probably ages 5 to 12. So by implementing this 10% rule, you establish a habit of prioritizing savings and wealth accumulation. So taking action on this takeaway means you might want to review your current financial situation, decide how you can allocate, let's say, 10% of your income towards savings or investment vehicles. It's going to require discipline, conscious decision-making to ensure that you're literally putting aside at least 10% of what you've earned, even during those challenging times. Now, if you cannot do 10% savings right away, I'd recommend starting with what you can and then growing from there, increasing it once every quarter. So, for example, if you can only save, let's say, 3% of your income today, start there. And in three months, see if you can squeeze that up to 4% and so on and so on. By taking action and following this principle of the 10% rule, you'll gradually create this massive reservoir of financial resources you can leverage for future generating of income or investing in other opportunities. Second takeaway, realize the power of saving is far greater than the power of merely paying off debt. Now, many people come to me and ask, Mark, should I pay off my debt or should I start investing first? Now, thinking long range, the best answer is neither. Instead of investing, put it in something that can never lose value, like dividend-paying whole life insurance, and then access that money via a policy loan to pay off your debts. 
This way, you're not relying on potential hope and prayer strategies in your investment portfolio, but rather you're using the contractual increase in your wealth vis-a-vis a bank-on-yourself-designed policy loan, and you're borrowing against that to pay off your debts. So we go into great detail on how to do this, what the steps are, and how it helped me and my wife pay off over six figures, pay off six figures of student loan debt, and so much more way back in episode 75, the Lake Growth Debt Snowbank Method. Third and final takeaway, don't wait until you get wealthy to begin thinking about how you can make an impact. What charities and philanthropic endeavors can you begin partnering with today? If you can't give money, maybe you can give another currency, like time. And if you don't have much of either currency, money or time, maybe give them some attention simply by subscribing to their newsletters, resharing their media on social media, and anytime they post something, just reshare it on your own page. Start where you can and grow from there. It's always helpful. All of us can be charitable, whether we're giving money, time, energy, or attention. It starts today. It grows from there. It's the little acorn that becomes the mighty oak tree. You can have wealth on any income. And remember, true wealth comes when you learn to give it away. So thank you, everyone, for joining me for this week's episode of Not Your Average Financial Podcast, helping you think and live differently with your money, your economy, and your future. This has been another episode of the Not Your Average Financial Podcast. To join a financial revolution and start thinking different about money, go to www.nyafinancialpodcast.com and click Request a Meeting. The topics presented in this podcast are for general information only and not for the purposes of providing legal, accounting, or investment advice. On such matters, please consult a professional who knows your specific situation.